Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Joel Klatt Show. I am Joel Klatt, and I am glad that you are here with us. Hey, before we get into anything tonight, just make sure that you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, by the way, it always helps us if you rate and review us. That helps us out a little bit, so we would appreciate if you did that. Uh, you can follow the show on all of the social medias at Joel Klatt Show, okay, wherever you get your social media. If you're 13 and love TikTok, great. We're there. If you're 42 and love Facebook, I think we're there as well, but I'm not totally sure. Uh, and I think that's where you go for the generations, but that's where we're at. If you want to follow me, I'm at Joel Clatt on Twitter, at Joel underscore Clatt on Instagram, and uh, everything is there. Tonight, I want to get into uh, the recruiting rankings um, and, and maybe some more broad uh, thoughts about recruiting, this being the signing day. I don't even know what to call it anymore. It used to be just national signing day. Now it's like second signing day, late signing period. What, you know, more thoughts on, on, on that in, in later episodes, but I, I want to break down some of these numbers. And then we are going to go into the mailbag for the first time we opened up the email and you guys flooded us with questions. So we've got some good questions that we're going to answer at the end of the show. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, including, um, who you should and shouldn't be a fan of. So that's going to be interesting. Okay, let's dive into this really quickly. And everything in college football, as you know, has become territorial, and in particular when it comes to conferences. So what I wanted to do is, is right off the bat is just break down where all the top recruits in the country are going to play and uh, what conferences that they signed with. So let's look at the 39 players that were rated five-star recruits, the top 39 players in the country, and this is where they landed. Now, there's not going to be a total of 39 because technically uh, Deuce Robinson has not signed. We think he's going to be at Georgia. So that number for the SEC is actually going to go up from 21 to 22, or at least we expect that. But this is what it looks like. And yeah, that's not a misprint right there. Look at what the five-star recruits are telling us is that the best football is in the SEC, and that's where they're going to go. 21 of the 39 five-star recruits, soon to be 22. Uh, signed in the SEC. The Big 12 with seven, they came in second. The Pac-12 with five jumps up there. ACC with four. And the Big 10 with one five-star recruit for the entire conference. That was shocking. Uh, and obviously a graphic like this, you're going to need further explanation. And and the, the teams that jump out right away is like, wait, wait, wait. What did Ohio State do? What did Michigan do? Well, more on Michigan in a little bit, but I do want to sit with Ohio State for a second because when you look at that graphic, 
where all the five-star recruits went. You might think that, hey, Ohio State got lapped in recruiting, and that's not quite the case. Now, listen, they didn't win the recruiting uh, year, and that clearly, that crown clearly goes to Alabama. Uh, Alabama has one of the best classes that we've seen in recruiting. Obviously, not quite what Texas A&M had as far as the total number last year, but certainly close. Like, this was a great class. They had nine five-star recruits. So this is a, a, a team and a program that is going nowhere and will continue to get better. But Ohio State had the only five-star recruit to sign in the entire Big Ten. And I think it, it begs the question of, like, well, you know, what happened? What's going on? Well, before we dive into Ohio State and their class, I, I, I do want to just throw this out there. In this day and age, isn't it becoming like obvious who the conferences and the teams that are going to engage in the NIL um, discussion and who aren't? And, and by the way, there's, there's so many different philosophies. And so I hesitate to even bring this topic up because people are going to immediately be like, what, is, what are you, are you suggesting someone's dirty? No, 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 not at all. I'm just suggesting that philosophically programs around the country are approaching NIL very differently. Okay. Um, case in point, uh, Michigan is a team that really doesn't want to give NIL dollars or, or promise any NIL dollars to potential recruits. And because of that, they've seen their high school recruiting number dip. Now, what they have shown is that if you prove yourself that they do have very lucrative NIL deals, but for guys that earn them on the field there at Michigan, Blake Corum is earning plenty of money. They also started a collective that's very unique by the way, and, and one of the most unique, I, it, I don't want to say it's the only one because I don't know that for sure, but they have this collective that is basically a, a one more year collective. Like it's it's a collective that that raises money to make sure that they can provide NIL deals for the players that they feel like could and should stay in school for another year. Well, that's, that's very different than, let's say, promising – uh, an incoming freshman NIL dollars. Okay, so I, I think that when you at least think about the way teams, conferences are approaching NIL, it can lead to some clarity when you see a graphic that is that unbalanced, um, like you saw with the five-star players. Now, let's move on to, to Ohio State, because Ohio State is, is a case study in why the five-star, four-star argument isn't always the best argument. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, let's let's start with this. There were 39 players that earned a five-star rating. These are the best of the best. And obviously, you want as many of those players as you possibly can. Those are the top players in the country. Um, it also should be noted that from player 40 until about player... 350, you know, or more, or 400, or, or even more than that, those players get four-star ratings. So that's, that's a, a huge number of players that get a four-star rating. So let's just throw this out there. If you signed the 40th player in the country, and he technically got a, a four-star ranking, 
Is that equivalent to signing the 404th top player in the country who also got a four-star ranking? No. No, it's not. So stars don't always tell the story when it comes to the four-star. So you have to dig a little bit deeper. When, when you really start evaluating some of these classes, what you have to do is you got to, I go at least, you can go wherever you want, but I go top 100 players, how many did you get? And then what is your average player ranking across your class? And that'll tell you kind of the depth of, of what goes on. So let's take a look now at, at individual teams and how they did in the top 100. The top five schools in the top 100 players are Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Okay, Alabama cleaned up. Obviously, they're going to clean up. They started with nine five-star guys. Those were top 39 players in the country. They ended up getting 14 of the top 100 players in the country. That's quite a haul. It's a great class. Bama is going to be loaded. There's no doubt about it. Georgia got 12 top 100 players. Texas got eight. Ohio State, seven. Oklahoma, seven. Okay, so when you look at that, you start to think to yourself like, oh, okay, so it's it's not quite as drastic as maybe just those five-star graphics would, would lead you to. And then you start to look at this. Of those, those four-star players that weren't five-stars but top 100, right? So I'm talking about player 40 to 100. There's 60 players. The team that got the most number of those players was Ohio State. They got six of those guys, okay, to, to equal that those seven top 100 recruits. So they did pretty well in there, which is why their average rating is actually pretty high. Okay, so Ohio State's average rating is actually third in the country, right behind Alabama, obviously, they're number one, Georgia, they're number two, and then Ohio State is right there. Them in Texas. So those four schools, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Texas are the only schools to have an average rating of 93 or higher. Okay. So that tells a little bit more of a complete picture. So like did did Ohio State recruit on the same level as Alabama? Uh, close, close, not you know, not on the same level, but I think it tells a little bit of a different story than just looking at the five stars. I will say this, Alabama and Georgia killed it. There's no doubt about it. Uh and I think some of these other schools did a heck of a job as well. Um when I look at those those top 100 recruits, those are the guys that end up being great players, right? Like Marvin Harrison Jr. wouldn't have been included in that five-star graphic. Well, that's just crazy because he's obviously one of the best players in the country. He's a four-star. Um, so when you get a player like that, it's obviously great for your for your signing class. And, and that is the case, obviously, um, for, for Ohio State. Um, just broad strokes, when you take a look at this, <clears throat> there were 22, I call it 22, 21 guys signed already, five-star players, 39 total going to the SEC. If you include Oklahoma and Texas, it actually goes to 29 because Oklahoma and Texas are the only two schools that signed five-star players from the Big 12. So OU with three, Texas with four, those seven Big 12 players that are five-stars are OU and Texas. Well, in 2020, you know, four, maybe beyond, they're going to be in the SEC. <laughs> so, so the SEC cleaned up in this recruiting year. I mean, cleaned up. 
I keep looking at this. There were only eight schools that got multiple five-star players. There was only, what, nine more that got single, you know, digit five-star recruits. South Carolina gets one. Colorado gets one. You know, I mean, this is... This is wild, the level of dominance that we're seeing on the recruiting trail. And listen, a lot of it is is where the players are located uh, because a lot of them are from that SEC footprint. And a lot of them is and a lot of it is just the maniacal nature with which Alabama and Georgia recruit because to beat each other, they've got to recruit on such a level that, you know, it, it dwarfs everybody else throughout the country. Uh, so that's a listen. It's it's fascinating to me. Is this the end all be all? No, but at the same time, you better recruit well if you're going to want to play at the top end of college football. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. What is kind of fascinating to me is, is when you look at individual schools, okay? And so when I look at individual schools, I start, I start looking at surprises. Uh, which teams surprised me in a good way and which teams surprised me in a bad way? I like doing it as as a surprise because attaching winners and losers or, or grades, I think, is really dumb. I hate doing it in the NFL draft because we don't know. Like, we haven't seen these kids. We haven't seen them develop. You, I can give you surprises like, oh, man, I thought their class would have been much higher or, oh, I, you know, they did better than maybe I expected or maybe they, they, they uh, turned some sort of corner in terms of what they were struggling with or who they were struggling with. And I've got some of those examples right now. So you know me, I'm always pessimistic about things. So let me start with some of my surprises, like in in maybe not the best way, right? So some of my bad surprises. Let's start with USC. Uh, USC, seeing them where they were in the recruiting rankings was jarring, to be honest with you. I, I look at, at USC and I and I thought, you know what, Lincoln Riley in this in this state should be able to have a top five recruiting class easy. I mean, Clay Helton was pulling in top classes. Now not one of those last years, but you look back through the USC recruiting rankings and it's like it's littered with top five classes, even with when the program wasn't doing much. And so I thought to myself, like, surely Lincoln Riley, with the momentum that he's generating, is going to be able to just open up his back door and pull in the top five class. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And and more specific is the struggle that they had when it comes to the state of California. And, and when I look at, at what you need to do, in USC is you got to put a fence around the state of California, because if you can do that, you're going to pull in a great class. And this is, this is, this is worrisome for me. And I know that they did a nice job in the transfer portal and, and more on that in a moment, but basically there were about 20 players in California, you know, 
in the top 300 in the country, right around there, 19, 20 players in the top 300, depending on, on you know, who you use as a rating system. And USC got three of them. That's not enough. That's not enough. They, they should be doing much better with those players in their own backyard. And they need to do a lot better. Um, they did get three of the top 10 in the state. Uh, and the top 10 are all 100, you know, top 150 nationally. But again, like you look at some of these other teams, Oregon comes in, gets four of the top 10 players. Um, you look around the country and you've got teams coming into California like Tennessee, Miami, Texas, Florida State, Georgia, Louisville, Nord Notre Dame. I mean, it's one thing if, if Oregon comes down. I kind of get it, right? It's the Pac-12. If UCLA grabs a few of them when Stanford was rolling, maybe Stanford grabs a couple of them. Heck, even if Colorado maybe grabs one of them, right? It's like it's in the it's in the footprint. It's in the family, right? You're, it's the Pac-12. You kind of understand it. But when, when you're getting poached from outside of your footprint, that is bad news. And so I, I'm sitting here looking at Tennessee, Miami, Texas, Florida State, Georgia, Louisville, and Notre Dame all coming in there and poaching talent out of the Pac-12 footprint and out of California. That is not good. And then it gets even a little bit worse when you look at what this team needs desperately and then what happened in recruiting in terms of the high school players uh, in this signing period. USC did not do well signing some of those top high school players out of their own state that were defensive players. They need defensive help. We saw it right before our eyes late in the season. I mean, how many times are we going to see a Lincoln Riley coach team play exquisite offense and lose the game? 50 points, 500 yards, like it, and yet like, oh, well, they, they still lost the game. They have to get better on defense. And then when you look at some of the best high school players in the state, where did they go? Well, the top two, uh, well, the, the best edge player, Oregon got him. Top two cornerbacks in the state, they're out. Miami got the next best defensive lineman in the state. Florida State got the best linebacker in the state. They didn't get any of the top defensive players that they needed. Those are the guys that, I mean, you got to live in those living rooms. That, that is your bread and butter. That is the lifeblood of the program. And so this is why I'm surprised at USC, right? Do I do I think that they're, they could be okay? Yeah, they might be okay, but that's not a good omen. It's really not. My next surprise on, on the kind of negative side, if you will, was Michigan. You know, Michigan landed at what? I think 18th is the last I saw. And, and 19th overall class, despite two straight playoff appearances, despite two straight Big Ten titles, despite two straight wins over their rival, the Ohio State Buckeyes. I just, that should have translated into more momentum. And we've seen them have in their hi history under Harbaugh much better classes than this. So it's kind of strange. They were third in the Big Ten, by the way. It's not even like they were just second in the Big Ten. They were third in the Big Ten. Penn State jumped up ahead of them. And then you look at the average player rating. And this is what was most alarming to me. I showed you already Ohio State, one of three teams with a 93 or above, 93.6. Penn State was the second in the Big Ten with an average rating of 91.1. And third in the Big Ten with an average rating of 88.8 .8 was Michigan. 
I mean, you're talking about almost five points on average below in terms of your average player rating. That that one was a bit of a head scratcher to me, a bit of a head scratcher with both of those. The momentum that each of them should be having, what USC and the positive momentum that they got, the Heisman Trophy winner, Lincoln Riley. I mean, they're moving to the big. Like, I I don't understand it. I didn't understand the Michigan one either. Now, to be fair, and I and I want to just say this: to be fair, what I led the show with was kind of a precursor to this moment, which was you don't know exactly how each coach or collective or program or athletic department is approaching the NIL conversation with incoming recruits. And that is impacting drastically where these recruits end up. Drastically impacts that. So you've seen some teams lean more into the transfer portal because those are known commodities. I know this guy can play. I know that you know he can come in here and contribute and maybe fill a need. And that's where Michigan and USC have done really well, in particular over the last two years. These two classes that they each signed out of the transfer portal were really good. So I want to be fair to each of these teams, programs, coaches, all of it, recruiting departments. Was I surprised with where their high school recruiting rankings were? Yes. I thought that they were going to have more momentum. Does more go into it now than what did two and three and four years ago? Absolutely. Because the NIL conversation has changed dramatically and quite frankly, we just don't know what the conversations are like between the coaches, the athletic department, the, all of these people, and these recruits. Because I know that there are recruits out there that walk in and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, nice to meet you. Okay, let's get down to business. Some coaches are turned off by that. I mean, it's impacting these recruiting rankings. There's no doubt. So Michigan and uh, USC did a really good job in the transfer portal. When you look at the average player rating out of the transfer portal, these two teams, at least in, in the sites that I was on, they finished third and fourth respectively in the country. USC's average player rating out of the transfer portal, 90.6. Michigan's 90.57. So they're getting themselves better. USC, six players on defense from the transfer portal. Michigan got good linebacker help, edge help, offensive line help, in particular on the inside where they were going to miss some guys after graduation. So these are the areas that they need help, and they're getting that through the transfer portal. Okay, so those were my surprises maybe in the negative direction. How about pleasant surprises in the positive direction? Let me start with Penn State. Now, to be fair, Penn State didn't blow it out of the water with a top 10 class or a top five class or, or beat Ohio State in, in recruiting, but they did do something and, and they've continued a trend now for two straight years that was really lacking for them in the you know three years ago, four years ago. They've started to own their own state. And I think that's really imperative for any program, even if you're not going to have great players from your state you got to get the best players from your state in particular in the era of of the transfer portal because generally speaking those guys that are more local they're not going to be the ones that are going to be heading out the door right away to go back home or to you know be mercenaries so they can be cores to your team even if they're not the best players on your team they can be the core to your team the nucleus uh, of your team and Penn State has done a much better job, much better job uh, over the last couple of years and certainly this year, retaining the best players in their state. 
Um, you look at Penn State in 2023, they got three of the top four out of their state, six of the top 10, only one top 100 player in the state, but they got it. Last year, they got three of the top four, six of the top 10, including Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter. Like these were main contributors this last year for, for Penn State. And it, and it turned it turned the tide because they were struggling in this regard in 2021 and 2020. You look back at 2021, they didn't get any of the top five players in the state. All five were top 100 players, including Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison. Um, in 2020, there was only one player in the top 100 in the country from Pennsylvania, and they lost him that year. They lost the top player in the state each of those years, 2021 and 2020, to Ohio State in their own conference. So they've fixed that. They've gotten the top player in the state for to back-to-back years, and they've started to own their state. So I thought that was a positive from Penn State's perspective. Uh, another pleasant surprise, Oklahoma. I thought Oklahoma had a really great cl- class, and and obviously the the rankings suggest that. As far as the total class re- um, in terms of recruits and transfers, number six, uh, their best since 2021 when Caleb Williams came in. Uh, they had the the number four class in the country when it just looks at high school recruits. That's their best high school class since 2005. So, like, Brent Venables did a great job. I looked back at some of these classes that they had had, high school only, over the last few years, and Lincoln Riley wasn't touching that. You know, 2019, I believe, they had, like, the sixth best class in the country. Um they had an, an eight in there, but then like 10, 13, 9, 19 in 2016. So Brent Venables has done a really good job. Their first class is the best they've had in a long time. Uh, six of their best seven recruits are either defensive players or offensive linemen. How do you get good? How do you win going into the SEC? You better play good defense. You better play good on the line of scrimmage. And their best player overall is their quarterback that they got, Jackson Arnold. So I loved what uh, Oklahoma did. A couple of others that I thought were um, good momentum, pleasant surprises. TCU. Uh, TCU signed a heck of a class. They've also done well in the transfer portal. Uh, two, 22nd overall class, and this is one of those teams that like capitalizes. They had slipped a little bit in recruiting, uh, and then they come back after this great year that they had. You know, I had them as high school classes in 2022 as 45th, 2021 is 54th, 2020 was 23rd, 2019 was 32nd. So they jump up there and they recruited at a high level, capitalizing on the momentum uh, of, of that great year uh, there for Sonny Dykes. Another one for me was Texas Tech. Um, I thought Joey McGuire did a heck of a job. Their class was I, you know, right up there, top 25 class, fourth in the Big 12. Joey McGuire is working it and he's doing it. He's doing a great job. I really like, I like Joey McGuire a lot. Um, I was hard on the program and the administration for uh, firing Matt Wells when they did. I don't care if you fire Matt Wells, you can fire Matt Wells. They fired him when the team had five wins and, and some winnable games down the stretch and they fired him. And it's like, wait, I mean, that didn't sit right with me from a student athlete's perspective, you know, from, from if I'm playing there, that sours me a little bit, but they hired a great coach. I really love what Joey McGuire is doing. I loved covering them when they played TCU. Um, 
And when I looked back, they were fourth in the Big 12 in recruiting. They hadn't finished higher than seventh, you know, going back six, seven, eight, nine years. And when you're finishing fourth, remember, or caveat, when you're finishing fourth in the Big 12 now, that means that when Texas and Oklahoma leave, you're finishing second in the Big 12. So right now they're recruiting on par with a TCU who is owning recruiting outside of Texas and Oklahoma. So when they move, like those are the teams that are going to be the class of the Big 12. You're looking at Texas Tech. You're looking at TCU. Uh, and I think that that's really positive. Uh, and then the last team that was surprising to me, at least, Colorado. And I know that we shouldn't be surprised because of what Dion uh, is and, and what he's doing. But this was a 1-11 team. 1-11 team that just pulled in a top 30 recruiting class. That's pretty special. That's a that is a quick turnaround. And in particular, this is this wasn't like a, a, a team that had been having a lot of success, then went to one and eleven and now has bounced back. Like Colorado has not been relevant very much for two decades. You know, one year in which they won a division, went and played for a Pac-12 title. That's it. And so for to for Dion to do what he's doing is pretty amazing. This guy can get in any living room in the country, and he pulls in a five-star transfer. He pulls in a five-star high school recruit, and you know, like that—that's pretty special. That's pretty pretty special. Um, so there you go. And I'm sure there's there's more. I could have done a whole show, by the way, on just Georgia and Alabama and how great that they are in recruiting, and they are, and they are. Those classes are are phenomenal, and you know what? To beat them, you better either develop like crazy or get transfers in or start recruiting at the level that they're recruiting. Because until somebody does, it's going to be so difficult to beat those teams. They're just so much better than everybody else. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that more during the course of the season. Okay, let's dive into the mailbag. Let's have some fun with the mailbag. We opened it up um, last week. And, and before I get started on the mailbag, if you have any questions about anything, life, right, anything, you can email us. Our email is very simple, lengthy, but simple. The Joel, <laughs> the Joel Klatt Show mailbag at gmail.com. The Joel Klatt Show mailbag at gmail.com. And I got to tell you, my team and I had some fun and some laughs on text, just like reading through some of these questions. So please keep them coming. We'll try to answer as many as we possibly can. It's my hope, by the way, to end every episode with one of these because I think that they, they can be fun. All right, so let's start. Let's get to three of them here uh, tonight before we get out of here. Uh, let's start with this one from Jeff Beaufort. He says, do you think Penn State will win a national title in the next 10, 15 years? I'm 47. So I was 11 the last time my alma mater won a title. I'd like to see one more within my lifetime. So here's the hard part, Jeff, is that I would also love to see a little bit more parity. I would love to see an, um, the national championship move a little bit more than it has. Having said that, it's going to be really difficult because of the numbers that I just broke down to you. I mean, look at where all the best players in the country are going to play college football. I just, I don't see a team being able to win a national championship unless they can average for four straight years a top five overall recruiting class. That's basically what it takes to win a national championship. 
Now, how the transfer portal is going to affect that, how NIL is going to affect that, heck, like how the expanded playoff is going to affect that, I'm not totally sure. Um, injuries are going to play way more of a factor in the future with a 12-team playoff. And the portal will continue to play a huge factor. Look at what happened this last year with TCU making the national championship. Not that TCU was ever going to be Georgia. I mean, my goodness, after that game. But, you know, I think that the door was basically shut before these last couple of years. And I think it's starting to slowly open. But I maintain, I maintain, if you're going to play with and beat some of these teams like Alabama and Georgia and even Ohio State in your own conference, you better start averaging out over a four-year span about a top four, five, six class in the country in order to go out and win a national championship. So I don't know, Jeff. I don't know. That's probably not great news for you, but that's what I'm going to land on. All right, let's get to some other ones. Let's go non-football here. Let's go with just some life advice. So Tanner chimes in. He says, hey, Joel, my son is eight months old today. Congratulations, Tanner. Uh, being a father is my greatest joy. And now that we are at the end of his first football season, I feel like I am faced with a dilemma. Do I saddle him with my burden of being a Michigan and Packer fan where we are always in contention but ultimately fall short of a title? Or do I get him on board with the Chiefs and Georgia so he can grow up happy and winning titles for the next decade plus? This is a great question. And it's like an age old debate. Like, this brings up the question, do you have to be a fan of the team in your city? Do you have to be a fan of the team that your dad loves? I I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have a great answer to this. I will tell you a quick story though and then tell you the people I despise. Let's start with that. Here's a quick story. My dad great man. Love my dad to death. He's a former Marine, uh, fought in Vietnam, uh, comes home, starts a family, and was a, a high school teacher and a high school football coach. Loved mentoring kids. And so, but he was like, you know, I mean, he, he was a Marine, right? He's a Marine. And he never pushed any team on me. And we didn't have, let's just take baseball, for example. We didn't have Major League Baseball in Denver when I was growing up. So it's like you kind of had to choose a team. A lot of kids were Cubs fans because of WGN or even Braves fans because of TBS. We got those games locally. Um, but in 86, like I was a young kid and, it, and the Red Sox were in the World Series. So I started rooting for the Red Sox. Well, I, I was rooting for the Red Sox then for the next couple of years. Then all of a sudden, 1992 happens and the Rockies come to town and they're at Mile High Stadium and the Colorado Rockies are there. And I'm sitting there rooting for the Colorado Rockies one day in the stands in Mile High. My dad took me to a game. And he looks at me and he's like, he's like, so are you a Rockies fan? And I was like, well, no, I'm a Red Sox fan. And he was like, well, then why are, why are you rooting for the Rockies? And I was like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. And he's like, one team. You can be a fan of one team. And I'm like, I to this day, I loved that advice because I can't stand the people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, like I love the Cardinals and I love the, the Angels and I love the Padres. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa you get you get one team per sport. You get one team. So you got to choose wisely. I do not believe it has to be your hometown team. And I do not believe it has to be your dad's favorite team. 
I really don't. And Tanner, to your question, by the way, I would just suggest this. Like, you never know how the future is going to play out. You really don't. Because in 1997, you were riding high with Michigan and the Packers. And so if someone was born in 1997 or 1998, you would have been like, man, you know, I'm a Georgia fan and a Chiefs fan. All we've done is lose to John Elway and Georgia can't get over the hump. And all Georgia does is lose. Uh, man, maybe I should raise him to be, I don't know, a Michigan fan and a Packers fan because then he'll at least win Super Bowls and national championships. You see what I mean? Like I was born in 1982. The last thing you would want to do in 1982 has become a Georgia fan and a, and a Chiefs fan watching all those Marty Schottenheimer teams lose to John Elway, and the Denver Broncos. I, I loved it because I was a Bronco fan. I loved it, but you get what I'm saying. This has to be, this has to be cyclical. Now for your sake, Tanner, do I hope that your son becomes a fan of the teams that you root for? Yes. You know why? Because then it's a family and that's what I love about sports is that it brings families together. So my hope is that he picks those teams for you, for him, and for your future's sake. But does he have to? No, he doesn't. But one team per sport. One. One team per sport. Last question. Let's do one more and get out of here. All right. Let's see. Patrick says, hey, Joel, great podcast. Thank you, Patrick. Uh a question about your notebooks. Do you have both football slash work and personal notes in the same notebook? I'm sorry. Did Patrick just ask me that? I mean, what type of heathen keeps their work notes and personal notes in the same notebook? You can't double dip like that. Like, nobody takes a bite of a chip and dips it back in the salsa. Patrick. I mean, like, do I do I even have to show you? They're right here at my disposal. You know, like, you know my football. We've been over this, right? I've got all these and the spares. I've got, like, you know, I've got my blue big pin right here in my holder. But, but folks, like, you don't dare write a personal note in a work notebook. What, what are, I mean, were you born in a barn? I've got my personal notebook right here. See, I got my little personal notebook here, and those are little to-do lists. And then, and you know what? Actually, I shouldn't even say personal. That is like my work to do list. It's like my my I don't even know what you call it. My my to do list notebook, and just like a doodle notebook. And then I've got like my personal journal here. And yes, I do I do journal. I spend time every single morning. I love to read the Bible, journal, pray, and I write them down. Just like that. So, yeah. So these and this notebook is different than my work notebook, different size, different paper. Um, sharing notes in a notebook. What 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 are we doing? What are we doing? Tune in next Monday. New Joel Klatt show. I've got some thoughts on the calendar in college football, why it is ruining college football coaches and what we need to do to fix it i've got the fix coming up next monday on a brand new edition of the joel klatt show thank you for listening everybody